You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hey, Cliff, how's it going? It's going great today, Bobo. How are you? All right. You surviving them blizzards? Yeah, for the most part. Museum's been shut down a little bit because of the snow and stuff, but uh, I, I just kind of put a plea out on social media, and the Bigfoot community once again has stepped up and saved my butt. But we made a couple sales on online, so it, you know, even though we were closed for the weather, we made a little bit of money, so it's better than nothing, and I just can't be more thankful for the Bigfoot community in general. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. What about you? Anything going on? It's just raining down here. It's pretty good stormy. Just going to get back north up in the Redwoods where that guy got chased out by the two squatches where he saw the lair. I'm going to get up there tomorrow. That's cool. Yeah. It's been one of your main focuses lately. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to be, oh, I'm going to go beat around up there. I don't think I'm going to actually find it. I mean, hopefully I do, but it's just such a big jumble there. I'm going to need the witness himself to go there with me, but I figure if they're, if they're been in there, there could be other things to find besides just that one layer. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and the, the longer I do this and what, I, I mean, I haven't been doing it as long as you have been, but it's been 26 years. So it's nothing to sneeze at. The longer I do this, the more I'm coming to the conclusion that they hang out in the same general area. Now that general area might be five miles by 10 miles, but they hang out in the same general area most of the time, or at least some of them do. So uh, if they're in that area, there's a reasonable chance of finding some good stuff. So keep going back as much as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Well, today we're going to bring in the one and only squash detective, Steve Coles from up in New York. He's been in the game for a long time. He's a private investigator, and he's gotten to the bottom of a lot of uh, Bigfoot. You know, if, if there's someone's got a story or you want to check someone out, like, what's this guy's background? You know, what's this guy all about? Steve's the guy. He can dig that kind of stuff up pretty easily. Yeah, Steve is frightening. And Steve, uh, welcome to the show. We could not be happier that, number one, you're on the show. And number two, you're not investigating Bobo or me. Because if there's anything out there on either one of us, you would find it, man. So welcome to the show. And we are so pleased to have you on our side. Oh, thank you, guys. And uh, I just want to pass off a congratulations to uh, a very successful uh, Finding Bigfoot for 2021. Oh, thanks. oh, thank you. That was really cool seeing you guys. Did you hear that growl we got? You ever heard one of those out in the woods, that style? Possibly something close, but not that loud. And I wasn't even there to hear it. <laughs> that was one of my recorders I left in camp that picked up something like that. Yeah, look, thank God our sound guy had wandered away to smoke a cigarette because he had his boom mic out. And for once, it, we weren't between him and the sound. Well, that happened on Monster Quest. Uh, the, the, we, we got this, we were doing throwing vocals and we got this beautiful vocal back and the sound guy wasn't recording. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Finding Big, that, that happened all the time with Finding Bigfoot. I mean, because, you know, a lot of people give a raz us or whatever, find them yet, all that kind of stuff. But fact is, we found them a significant per, a portion of the time. And it's largely because we have, um, you know, Bobo, Matt, and I have our own databases. And we use the, the, the most recent intel from the best people that we have out there. You included. We picked your brain for the episodes. Um, so we have the best intel. So we, we were batting over 50%. And as Bobo says, for baseball, man, that's Hall of Famer stuff. 
Um, but so many of those times are lapel mics or whatever microphone we have on, like on my backpack, just didn't pick up the sound, you know? It, it can be frustrating. It's the curse of Bigfoot. You know, everything happens when you're not recording or when you're not expecting it. Um, we had a, uh, I was out with uh, my, my one of my research partners, Mike Ann, and we were we were setting up. We were getting out of our, our vehicles, and he was get, trying to get his GoPro working, and something threw a bunch of rocks at us. It was just all of a sudden, like, where the heck did that come from? And he's like, oh, I think I got it. Oh, no, my, my GoPro was off. <laughs> like, oh. That was like when we were filming, uh, like when I got the growl down there in the last episode. Um, they cut it out. I don't know why they cut this part out, but... There, there, there was another one that was close to us, like that camp in the brush line out of the creek, and it started throwing handfuls of gravel, like big handfuls of gravel, like <clears throat> through the trees, and that all got cut out. Now, my question would be, you know, do you think it was playing with you, or was it trying to intimidate you? I, I don't know. The, the big one down below that gravel was was further down. It, it sounded way bigger than this one, and then it's uh, interesting. And I don't know why this got cut out, also, but. We got numerous uh, callbacks from them. They called one. Say we were facing, we're we're standing, at, uh, you know, in the in the middle of the pie, and we're looking at or the clock, and we're looking at twelve o'clock straight ahead is is uh, directly at the creek. Then the growl came from our ten o'clock, and we heard that that one keep going off uh, down the creek when it took off the big one that growled. It would vocalize, and it would those small one. I think there was two that was throwing the gravel. I'm almost positive there was two like that sounded smaller that were there, and they answered back and forth, and they went opposite directions, calling back and forth for like 45 minutes. You could hear them like a couple miles away, still calling to each other. It was it was pretty amazing, but I think the audio was just so bad they just cut it out. Yeah, that's 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 too bad. Sometimes you get something so faint. You know, where it doesn't show up, it's very, it can be very frustrating. Like I said, the curse of Bigfoot figures. Well, they found a good way at our editing base how to take care of that. Just crank some music over it. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Uh, that's a common complaint. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure our editors don't listen, so it's okay. Now, Steve, you've done a ton of TV, right? Um, like, what, what are some of the, uh, the, the things that you thought turned out well? Because you got to be on TV and film a couple of these things to really understand the angst and, and fear that, um, people like me and Bobo and you have after filming, but before it's aired. Cause like, Oh, are they going to make me look like some idiot or how's this going to play? Are they going to twist what I said into some sort of lie? I mean, um, it's, it's scary. It's scary. Have, have you seen anything that you've done that you were particularly happy about or is it all trash? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all garbage. No. Uh, I've been blessed. Uh, you know, I, I got involved very early on with uh, back in 28 with monster quest and that was a, a very cool production. I, I, I had a, a, um, a director uh, from the production team that was actually from the UK, and he was great. And he said, you know what? He goes, you're the guy I'm going to hang out with. And we did. And he made me look like a rock star. So things got quiet after a while. I was very happy the way that it all turned out. Very, Of course, Monster Quest was always great like that. Um it was kind of funny because he put some real good fodder for the skeptics out there, uh, or I should say for the people that were skeptics. Uh, he had one uh, one guy, I remember, it was uh, Kurt Kogut uh, from NCON who said, you know, if these things were out here, people would be seeing them. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then there was, uh, there was an anthropologist on that said that, well, you know, there's no data that says that. You know, uh, a large primate, a large primate, could be supported here in North America. I'm like, wait a minute, 
we're a large primate. What the, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so things like that. So it made us look, it made us look really good. Um, a few years later, um, he says, also, I get a call from the director again. He goes, Hey, guess what? I, I have, uh, a show I'm putting uh, forward for Nat Geo. It's called the truth behind the Loch Ness monster. And we, I, I thought of you, he goes, do you want to come over here and, and lead the team and, and do some stuff? And pff, I'm in. So I, I got that exposure. He made me look like a rock star. And, um, yeah, you know, they did cut one thing out of it because it made me, and I understand that, you know, you got to make people play the, the, the pro and you had to have the people that play the con. And I actually debunked a photo that was shown on there. And, um, they actually filmed me debunking it. And instead at the end, they, they, they filmed this, this, supposed photography expert who was never there who said well i i don't see any anything that could make this reflection show up um he goes so i think what that you're looking at is like a bunch of boats and i'm going to my I'm, and i'm going no 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 that's because you don't see the copper roof that was a little bit down and the angle and what it was was the actual picture was just the sun hitting the copper roof which was reflecting back into the lock which made the appearance. And I actually took pictures identical to the ones that were presented to the TV show as the Loch Ness Monster. So even the scientist that his theory was completely wrong. So that, that was the only disappointment. But then I did, um, uh, uh, well, it turned out to be for, again, for Nat Geo, um, it turned out to be uh, Sasquatch Planet, which aired in Australia and Asia. And then uh, I believe Destination America repackaged it as uh, monsters and mysteries unsolved Sasquatch planet. And uh, then I did uh, America's book of secrets, the mystery of Bigfoot. And all of them turned out to be really, really good productions. Yeah. America's book of secrets kind of went into some of the more fringe theories about Bigfoot, but you know, at least they portrayed me as the, you know, myself and keeping it real and keeping it, you know, ground based, not, on conjecture. So I, I wasn't really uh, too upset with any of the programs I've done. And, you know, uh, for years, I've always said that, you know, if you, if a researcher gets approached, you know, you, you got to really start, you know, uh, for a documentary, you really got to start interviewing them. And unless they're being out and right deceptive, um, you'll get the gist of, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, I, there, there's been a couple of shows I've turned down because I knew they were going to be parody or they were setting something up, which I didn't find ethical. Yeah. First thing I tell a production company when they call me is that like, you need to realize that if, if you already have the outcome and you just want me to play ball, I'm not that guy. There's plenty of Bigfooters out there that are happy to lie on your behalf, but I'm not one of them. Um, but if you want the truth as I see it, I'm all, I'm all for it. And for the most part, um, they, they, no, 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 we want that. We want that. There's been a couple that I haven't got the call back for, but you know, that's fine. There's a lot of trash TV out there. So, but it's kind of nice that, uh, kind of set the ground rules first and then jump in the pool. You know, I always find it really funny too, that, um, and this just happened actually today. Um, you know, uh, as you know, my history, I, I also debunk a lot of hoaxes and expose a lot of hoaxes. And I, I just did one recently. And, you know, obviously the, the, the guy was using a sock account coming at me saying, well, you're just jealous because my video made it on TV. And I'm going, oh, my God, he doesn't know me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, being on TV for 15 seconds and I'm jealous. Come on. You know, it was <laughs> even on every network that shows Bigfoot stuff. Just about just about um, still looking to get on like NBC or something. But we'll see. <laughs> 
Hey, do you do you have a um, polygraph? No, no, I'm not a I'm not a uh, certified polygrapher or polygraph examiner. Um, I, I did when I when I went over to, to Scot- uh, Scotland to do the. I did meet a a polygrapher. Um, and it was kind of funny because we connected because what I am is actually, I'm a trained forensic interviewer. So, you know, I, I know some of the keywords and how people act when they're trying to deceive. There's actually, uh, when you when you start a line of questioning with people and some of their, some of their wording or how they bring up certain things are big indicators of deception. And I don't really publicly, uh, speak about that because I don't want to give anybody some ideas how to avoid that. But um, it's happened where people have come up and boom, the first thing they say is, well, and they say it. And then I'm like, oh, and then, you know. How often does that happen? What percent, what percent of the time do you get people that are trying to BS you? Well, in the beginning, I think it was happening a little bit more. Um, but I haven't, you know, I had one guy who, you know, was telling me about, and this was just purely uh, how I busted him was just pure questioning. And it was like, you know, he, said, hey, you know, I, I, I saw the Sasquatch in the field and I, I watched it for like 30 minutes. Really, what were you doing? And, you know, it was I was in the field just eating my lunch and I was having a picnic by myself. And, you know, well, how tall was the grass? Well, the grass is about three feet tall. And I was just kind of sitting there up against a tree. And all of a sudden, this thing walked out and kind of stared at me. Really? And I'm getting all these descriptions of everything. And then finally, I go, well, what did the feet look like? Well, the feet were, and he's describing the feet. And I'm thinking, well, he just said the grass was like three feet tall. So, you know, he was just way too descriptive on anything. And, um, you know, so I started asking him other questions. Oh, tell me about yourself. Well, you know, turns out the guy was recently divorced. He's living by himself and he's in a community which is very remote. And I think the guy was just lonely. And uh, I was like, well, okay, thank you very much. And, you know, most of these things, I just, I don't bust them. And, you know, I just, okay, I put it to the side, go, okay, well, it could be, but it doesn't sound likely, but I'm not going to expose this guy. He's not, you know, making a big stinker to do about it. Um, and it was kind of funny because like three months later, he calls me up and said, oh, uh, I was on a Greyhound bus and I saw one. Really? Yeah. He goes, it was out in the field and I didn't tell anybody else on the bus. Really? Uh, how long was your sighting? About 45 seconds. How fast was the bus going? Oh, about 30 miles an hour. And I'm going, you can't have a 45 second sighting on a bus that's going 30 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, you drive past it, it's only going to be a few seconds. So again, the level of detail was great and everything. I'm like, no, nah. it just, and the guy kind of faded out. And, I, and a lot of people don't understand that most of the hoaxing that goes on is because uh, it has to do with people just having a psychological need to either belong to something. It could be loneliness. It's not really a, a malicious thing. It's just something that, you know, they, they feel they need to do because they want to feel special. And we see that with people like stolen valor and, and other types of things that they need to make this fantasy up around them to feel part of something. So for the most part, it's not malicious. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Can you tell the difference very easily if someone really believes what they're saying, but they're just you know, like they misperceived it or? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and in those cases, you know, like that case with that guy, I only had phone conversations with him because I, I kind of do these step process, step by step processes. But I'll, I'll tell you, one of the, uh, it was, it must have been about 2002. Um, and I, I met this former Marine who was a Vietnam era Marine. 
and uh, he was a, a a trucker, and he had lived in in a remote area of uh, Rensselaer County, New York, and he heard something scream, and left a trackway, and of course there was snow tracks, so you you know by the time i i actually found out from somebody and kind of put one and one together and i kind of searched the road i saw the trackway i knocked on his door and he was very open and friendly to me um but as he's telling this story um you know there there are certain physiological things you can see people will get short of breath when they tell these their stories back um because they're reliving them uh they will have you know goosebumps their hair will stand on the end their jugular veins will distend while they're telling the story um those are all signs physiological signs that just can't be faked um people that will look you in the eye and, and, and talk to you people that you know, when if you're sitting with them and talking, they're not sitting there, you know, cross-armed or all bundled or leaning back and cross-armed. Uh, they're not in a defensive posture. They're open. They have their hands out. They're leaning in because they want to know. And, of course, the most important thing is, <clears throat> you know, and I'm sure you guys have had that that share with the show, is that, certain, you know, you can always tell the legitimate witnesses want validation. They don't want attention. They want validation. Right. They're good points. What percentage do you think of uh, just a raw number of reports that say you receive? What percent what you say would are real versus um, liars versus innocent misidentifications? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I want to hold you to it. Well, I'm very, very picky about what I investigate. Of course, I use a process, you know, but the, the ones I pick out, you know, are, are generally spot on you know occasionally we may get a misidentification out of it very rarely will we we get a a hoax at it if we're on site because we we've gone through the process but i'd probably say you know probably about 30 percent 20 percent are you know either hoaxes or misidentifications and the rest of them need to be investigated and you know some of them uh most of them turn out to be unknown they're saying one thing you're finding some supporting evidence you know, you're, you're finding tree breaks and you're finding a clear path where something had moved before. Yeah. Okay. You know, this is something that they necessarily, you know, uh, wouldn't have the, the know it all to, to go in there and fake that kind of stuff, you know, and it is what it is. They said they saw it. And in one particular case, I had five witnesses that had seen it twice in a 30 minute time period. Three saw it at one time. They got escorted down by the two fellows. They came back up to see what was going on, and then they spotted it crouching in the woods. I go out there, and you're thinking, well, there's kids having a party. You know, I don't know. But then you go out there, and you find, you know, that where it was crouching. And I start going in, in the wooded area, and I'm looking at all these tree bakes, you know, leading down, uh, like, in a line, five foot nine, six foot, five foot eight, five foot ten, five foot eleven, six foot, you know, in a path, follow it right down the road, see crushed, you know, see crushed vegetation on the ground and follow it right to the road where that's it. It's gone. Game over. It's on the, it's on the asphalt now. Yeah, they, they had some stuff that would corroborate that something large had been there and moved through there. And, you know, could it have been a moose? I doubt it. There was no moose track. Moose track, especially even in hard surfaces, are very easy to spot. They're, they're kind of, of um, paths. So, you know, you have to evaluate it. Percentage-wise, I was never into really stats. So, uh, you know, there, there was one one I remember 
that had a had a sighting and she was very believable but then everything became bigfoot so you you kind of think well maybe did she see bigfoot you know did she have a sighting and now it becomes bigfoot in the brain where everything is bigfoot after that i've had several of those people you know where oh i'm i'm seeing it here i'm seeing it there i had somebody um give me a video that was from vermont um a couple of years ago and uh as it turns out when you listen to the uh the uh, the audio um, it turns around. You can hear her in the back going Sasquatch, and you know, and you know, and then said something else like you know, dumbass, you know, something like that. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a hoax, you know. And she's showing everybody the video at the festival. She's showing everybody without the audio on. <laughs> so once I got the video with the audio on, it gave it away. You know, so it was like, okay, I, I know exactly what this is. So, yeah, it does happen. And, you know, people get, you know, smart. But a lot of people avoid me because uh, they know if they're pulling something, you know, hey, you know, this guy's a private investigator. He, you know, he, he's going to find out. And, uh, you know, there was the the Bigfoot peeper, um, you know, that came out last year. And, um, well, throwing names out there, the guy turned out to be a convicted child molester and that's bad you know that's bad business that's you know that's worrisome now what i normally you know i don't care if somebody has a record but that is a danger you know he, he he's like you know he's a registered you know sex offender so yeah hey this guy's using a different you know he's using his middle name instead of his first name to kind of hide that fact uh also the fact that he never owned property where he said he owned it um, he actually lives in a suburban area. <laughs> and if you kind of look at where he lives, you kind of can see where the lights are in the back of the picture. And so this is a big flag, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's very sad that, you know, sometimes, you know, certain nefarious people will try to take advantage of the system. Now, I look at it from a couple of different aspects. Do I think, do I think he was really... Um, trying to um, do anything nefarious. No, chances are that because he is a convicted sex offender, he goes back to that loneliness thing, that need to belong to something, that need to, you know, I, I need to feel special. Because we all like to feel special at some point in time. Yeah, but th- there comes a point where that need to feel special turns into a pathology, I think. Where you know you start bringing other people into it, and um, you start inconveniencing them, or lying and spend making them spend money and time on you. It's like the difference between um, being confident and maybe happy about yourself or proud of yourself, and being a narcissist. You know there is a line that along that trajectory that eventually gets crossed. Oh yeah, absolutely, and you'll see that with more with more of the serial offenders that we see. That that is more of the narcissistic tendencies. Somebody that does it once, you know, I and and psychologically, that's just a, a scream for attention. I'm lonely. I'm I'm this. I'm that. Once this guy was exposed, by the way, he disappeared, gone. Most hoaxers, once you expose them, the ones that are just looking, that have that psychological need, that are making a big deal and they get exposed, they disappear. But the ones that have these sociological or socio, uh, sociopathic tendencies like narcissism, uh, not caring who they hurt to you know, attain their goals, um, they're the people that consistently hoax and are serial hoaxers. And, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, 
uh, I've seen it time and time again where, you know, you guys, I don't know if you got, you guys know Guy Edwards. He came up with a great little, um, you know, the, the four-step hoaxing process, you know, attack the, you know, attack the debunkers. And they do, and they get nasty and gnarly, and and you can tell automatically right then and there, you're dealing with a a, a sociopathic type of individual rather than somebody go, hey, you know, you got me. I was going to say that the four classifications you guys have is the psychologically needy hoaxer, then there's a subclass, the unintentional hoaxer, it's legitimate setting, but then they get squashed in their brain, and there's a prankster or jokester category, and then last and least... The last, but not, I guess they are the least, the profiteers. Yeah, yeah, the profiteers. You know, it's funny, uh, there was a video I just released uh, about a DNA test, which is completely bunk. Oh, the tooth? Yes, yes, completely bunk, yep. And, and to, you know, and the funny thing is the attack came today. And it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of hysterical. Uh, you know, oh, you're just jealous. Come on, really? <laughs> um, you know, uh, very typical. It, you know, and of course, I hit him with the psychological stuff. Why don't you just admit it? Because I did allow his comment to go on the page, and then after that, I had three different screen names make comments. Of course, I I moderate everything on my page, and after he realized that, oh, why don't you want somebody to? You know, you could tell it was the same person because it, it would escalate. <laughs> Like, oh, what, what are you moderating the page? What's the matter? You don't want to see people the truth? I think the video has the truth. But so, you know, of course, uh, those kind of people, they don't care who they hurt. Um, you know, if you look at, at some people, I've seen people accused of different things, crimes uh, by hoaxers. I've seen uh, one particular one. It was his hysterical you know, uh, this hoaxer, she gets on, on one of her social media pages and says that, well, you know, because of this, somebody threatened my life. Marvelous. No proof that it ever occurred. But what, is, what does that happen? Somebody decides to come. Well, why would you even hold on? I never threatened anybody's life. Show me. Show me. Um, then as well, can we agree not to to continue on? And, and hey, listen. I'm all for hoax busting. I have my, my right to say what I need to say, but I'm not going to threaten anybody with violence. It's against the law. I'm a private investigator. I, I don't break the law. And then a, like a few days later, somebody sent me a, a, a thread with the same guy that was trying to get me to agree not to threaten people, was laughing it off uh, with the hoaxer and another person who says, hey, you want me to shoot him? I mean, really? <laughs> so, so you look at that and go, what? So you got to understand with, with, with some of these sociopathic individuals, it can get dangerous at times. It can get really hectic. It's um, scary. It, it is. And, but, but today it was kind of funny because I knew it was all the same person. And, and he thinks he, he's trying to outwit me by creating different, you know, YouTube names. <laughs> so uh, you're not really fooling me. <laughs> Yeah. You guys gotta say for people that are listening, Steve's got a great webpage called squashdetective.com and they're on Facebook, I know too. But you should check out his, his uh webpage. He's got the hoaxers, Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame, I should say, and a lot of cool a lot of cool uh links on there. 
Yeah, whenever there's a new thing that's popped up, like a new photograph or video or some sort of claim that is turning the heads of the Bigfoot community in general, um, one of the f- my first stops um, is always Steve's website because if it's high profile enough, Steve's going to know about it. And again, you aren't going to pull much past Steve Calls, man. So if if it's a hoax, um, it's going to be on Steve's page eventually, and the guy's going to be or the gal is going to be outed. So um, you're really doing a wonderful service for the Bigfoot community, Steve. I can't speak highly enough about your work. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you, Cliff. And I, I try, you know, and and I was, you know, I've been very, how should I say, it, pragmatic on how I do investigations. Um, and it's the same with pro uh, pro Bigfoot stuff and the con Bigfoot stuff. Um, you know, I, I look at every investigation separately. It should be treated separately. It should be attacked in a methodology with, uh, I have something called uh, my five tenets of Bigfoot research. Um, I, I apply them and that's my mission statement. Um, and the first two is, or the first three is keep an open mind, remain objective and always tell the truth. And those are the first three. Um, those are more to the investigation. And then the fourth one is responsibility to educate. And the fifth one is exposed to charlatans. So, it, 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 you know, it's all, and the exposing the charlatans goes back to education because, you know, there is too much misinformation out there about the phenomenon. It drives me crazy to, to no end for people to, well, you know, well, you know, we all know Bigfoot DNA is human. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> and, you know, so the misinformation field is just out there. It's a, it's a very elongated process. And I don't call a hoaxer unless I have the evidence to back it up. You know, I, I kind of mix feelings about exposing hoaxers in a way. And now I'll say something's hoaxed, no, no problem. But in a way, I kind of feel like if they're, if they're coming to me, they're probably wanting attention or something like that in some sort of way. So I, I, I personally, and, 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 and this is just my, my, my way of doing things. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or anything, but I don't say the person's name. And I don't know, I, I guess there's good things about that and bad things. The good things, of course, being that um, you're not giving that hoaxer any more attention because that's what they really want. That's what they really want. It's like a bad kid in my classroom when I was a teacher. It's like, you know, give them the reinforcement in a positive way, not a negative way. But at the same time, I, I like that you do, um, just because you need to know who you can trust in the field because of these serial hoaxers, as you called them. Right, yeah. And I don't expose the, the, usually the one-ups unless they're, they're bringing some big attention to themselves. Like, hey, wait, let's look at this this way. Um, but the serial ones, they got to be out of because they're constantly on their own thing. And, you know, we talked about the profiteer earlier, you know, uh, Bob, Bob was saying about the, the profiteer, you know, hey, this, this DNA report, yeah, the guy, how many thousands of hits does he have on this, on this video? And it's monetized. So yeah, it's all about the money. It's all about the greenbacks, you know. And it, it it just gets them so angry that, you know, this video, my video, is doing so well. Oh, you're riding coattails. No, no. Actually, the way I look at it is when I, when when somebody trying to to justify, or even if it's the the hoaxer themselves, trying to justify that I'm riding coattails by exposing their hoax, I look at it. As this, the hoaxers are riding the coattails of legitimate researchers. They're not putting in the work. They're shortcutting it. They're shortcutting it and making us look bad. And that's, you know, they want all this attention. And when we busted our butts, you know, for years to get a little attention about what we're doing, you know, where they want it, you know, instant gratification. 
So they're the ones riding the coattails. Yeah, they go flinging a couple big names around in the mud. They're going to get lots of it. There was uh, some fake footprints this past year that like, the guys said, said, hey, we got this. What do you think? And I looked at it and figured it out. Like, well, these are fake. And um, you know, I, this is the Reader's Digest version, of course. It took longer than that. So, well, these are fake. And why? Well, this is, this is why. And I told them all about it. Next thing I know, there's videos slamming me and Meldrum. And like Jeff had nothing to do with it, except that I, I ran it by him, too. Yeah, it's like there's videos slamming me and Meldrum out there, and they're getting all these hits on it. So again, riding coattails is a different form of it. It's just kind of opposite, you know? Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. What have your personal uh, visual encounters entailed? Kind of, a, uh, you know, it took me years. Um my first visual sighting was in, I want to say, 2006, but it wasn't really with my naked eye. It was through night vision. So, um, And then I saw something uh, uh, through night vision the following year in Alabama. Uh, but really, my, the pinnacle of everything was in 2012. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to – I'm sorry, 2011. 2011, uh, we were uh, – doing an expedition up in, in what I consider my, my research area number one. I have a name for it. And literally, uh, you know, our, we had been out. We're hearing things, but nothing definitive. Uh, I've got a 10-man team out there, and we, we all come back in, and we're all around the campfire. We're all talking about what we're hearing and, and what we're experiencing. And so, and you know, we're kind of chuckling and having a good time. We're not being quiet at all. It's October, so all the leaves have dropped in New York. So you can see to the road, you know, through the trees, whatever, but it's still dark. Uh, I decide, okay, I got to get batteries for my headlamp. It's getting kind of dim. So I go out to my car and I leave the, the the camp, which it's about maybe a 50 to 65 foot walk via a path to the dirt road where the camp was. And I go out to my car and I, 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 you know, I pull my batteries out, stick it, throw them in my pocket, close the, close the car door. And I'm, all right, I'm going to light up a smoke and I'm going to lean against the car. And I, I pull my flashlight out and shine it down downhill towards the north side, which was at the time where a lot of the experiences were going on. And nothing, and I spin it around to the south side, which is uphill, and standing next to a utility pole on the dirt road, on the, on the side of the dirt road, is an eight-foot Sasquatch. And the eyes are, are you know, are shining back at me, and the first thing it does, it kind of looks over its shoulder, you know, not with a head turn, but kind of like a body turn, and, and focuses back on me. Of course, I'm froze. I'm not moving the light. I'm just hanging there. And I can see the eyes blinking at me. And this goes on for about maybe 30, 40 more seconds. And finally, I just, I shake the light a little bit and just turns and walks in to the, uh, into the forest on the same side of the road as the camp, starts moving on the south side of the camp. I end up calling, you know, my, my first team out, which uh, I break them up in like three, three squads. And the first team came out and that had the video guy on it. And you know, I said, Hey, you know, I just had this hiding out here. And they came out, they videoed me, and I was completely like, I, it was right there. <laughs> I, you know, uh, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, mystified. <laughs> um, they end up going down the road. I stay put, and I'm trying to get other teams out. And while they're going down there, and it's kind of funny because the whole thing was videotaped, and thank, I didn't know it was. Um, so they actually found the, the step that it had taken into the forest, and you can still see dirt falling in the hole where it had stepped. 
But at the same time, you hear the, the base camp radio, you know, go, hey, Steve, we're, we're getting a lot of activity on the south side of camp right now. We got some big movement. <laughs> and that was where I'd seen it walk off to. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of really amazing stuff. You can see the musculature and all that? No, it was pitch black. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking at maybe trying to, it's so hard to just spatially remember the distance. Was it like more of a 2D look than a 3D look? Like it was more of a silhouette? Yeah, it was very silhouetted um, because, you know, I didn't have a very, it's not like I had like a 700 lumen light. I just had this little, little hand light. It may be, maybe 150 lumen at best. You know, so I could see, it. and the the big thing that I kept seeing was the eyes kicking back. I mean, you could see the shape of the conical head, and you could see it silhouetted, and then you could see just a dark form just go. But I was throwing up the light in its face, so I think, you know, it was all I probably saw was the light, and I was kind of silhouetted. And I think the reason why it kind of kind of stayed put was because it was probably trying to figure out: does it see me? Because it's not moving. You know, so I, I it wasn't until I moved the light that it decided, okay, time to go. What color did the, did the eyes reflect back? They were like an orange. An orange, huh? Okay, interesting. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite yellow. It wasn't quite red. It was like orange, like an amber sort of thing. I, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, um, and, and the funny thing is, is um, the following year, just south, uh, actually, just west of that camp. Uh, you know, we always use that campsite a lot of times. Every time we can get it we were actually uh, hearing a lot of things moving around. So finally, I'm like, you know, I was like going, I'm, I'm going to my gear bag. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pull a flash camera out and I'm going to just start clipping pictures. Bang, 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 bang. And the first picture you get, and the funny thing is I only picked up one eye. So I don't know if it was walking sideways or, you know, walking, you know, how should I say it? Adjacent to us or perpendicular to us. The first picture you could see it was a little farther out, but it was a red eye shine red and then the second picture closer it's now amber and i understand that that a lot of times uh, you know eye shine can be very determinant on you know the type of light you use the angle of reflection the humidity the you know there's so much you know that can they can change a, a shadowing especially when you go from red to yellow so i think that's possibly you know a lot of stuff going on. I've seen that same thing, Stephen. You're one of the few people I've heard say that because I've asked a lot of people and people say, no, they didn't notice. Only you're one of maybe five people have told me the same thing because I'd see them looking at us and then when they turned, they'd kind of get like a whitish, purpley hue to them, kind of like is you could see them, two of them face, two eyes facing you because there's several sets, there's five sets of eyes. When they turn, you'd, you'd, you'd see it slowly turn to one eye and as it you know got less and less more of an angle, the ch- color changed. And then you'd hear walking. And then you'd hear it stop, and then it would turn. And you see the both the eyes light up again as it turned its head, and both eyes were again looking at you. But yeah, they changed. They changed uh, color as what angle they were at. And I've actually taken a report in uh, Warren County of a a, um, a Sasquatch in a backyard, and it had blue eyes. Blue eyes were reflecting blue. And again, you know, what type of light we're using? Well, I have this LED light. Ah, well, there you go, because, you know, it's probably easier for an LED to reflect blue light than like a krypton bulb, which is generally the yellowish type of light. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a very, very uh, strange area. I mean, there was another time that same year uh, in 2011, we were down lower into the into the 
pushing a little forward to where we normally go. And I'm shining this light around. And I had two researchers with me and going, when the, when the hell did the state start putting trail markers up there? And I'm looking at these what appeared to be two, again, red reflectors. I mean, these were red. And I go, when the hell? And then all of a sudden, in unison, they turned and disappeared. <laughs> and they were, you know, a good seven, eight feet up. But am I going, and, and, and both the other researchers were like, what the hell? <laughs> it, it, was, it was really cool. Um, in 2012, um, we, were, we were actually shooting, I think, uh, Sasquatch Planet, uh, the Nat Geo uh, special. And every night the crew would go home, stuff would go down. <laughs> Um, it had been raining horribly that night, all day. So we, you know, we had drove. We actually, uh, the team that was out there was a couple of friends from Ohio. They were researchers. Uh, my buddy Jeff from Georgia, who's a researcher. And we we all were at Chautauqua Lake. And we, we had the, actually it was a Bob Gimlin event. So we had spent the weekend with Bob. And then now we, we drove the, the long drive back from Chautauqua, clear across the other side of this state to you know, the Adirondacks. So they, the, the crew comes out, interviews us real quick because they knew we were a little cranky from a long drive. And then we were, you know, had to set up camp and it's pouring rain out and we're collecting birch because birch is one of the few things that can burn wet. So the, the, the bark has got a lot of oils in it. So it tends to, once it gets heated up, it goes up like, you know, gasoline. So we were collecting a lot of birch. We set the tents up. Uh, Jeff uh, says, you know, he was keeping his pillow and blanket in his Jeep uh, out by. And this is the same camp that the year before we had all the stuff go on. Um, so at 11 o'clock at night, he goes out to the Jeep. The, the, the Nat Geo crew left. Uh, we're all sitting around getting a last bit of eats and smokes and whatever we're doing. And uh, he decides, OK, I'm going to go to bed. He goes out gets his pillow and blanket out of his Jeep, comes back, puts it in his thing, because he didn't want, in case his tent leaked, he didn't want a wet pillow and blanket. Don't blame him. So Wayne and I are up for a little bit more. He's like one of the, the guy from Ohio, and we at one point we decide, okay, time for bed. So maybe an hour and a half passes, and I, I wake up. Well, i got to use a tree. So I unzip my tent. Now, mind you, it, it's overcast, but there was a full moon out that, that night. So the, the clouds kind of had this glow, almost like a nightlight type of glow to the, the whole area. So I unzipped the tent and I step out and I just, you know, automatically look over. And again, it's September. Um, the leaves have dropped <laughs> up in there. It was really cold up there at the time of year, cooler. Um, I look to the left and there I see it. A five and a half foot one, all of a sudden darts <laughs> from south to north. And I could see the, the long reddish hair. And my first reaction was, nah, can't be. <laughs> use the tree, go back to bed. About four hours later, I had to use the tree again. That time I took a flashlight and I poked my head out of the tent and looked around like, mm, anything? No, okay. So that, that was my reaction. Like, nah, just, God, I got to be imagining this. <laughs> Next morning, Jeff gets me up. Guys. Um, come here, look at this. And behind his Jeep, something had placed a birch log to the point where he wouldn't have been able to get his pillow and blanket out of the Jeep. It would be right where he would have stood. And he's like, I don't know how this got here overnight. We actually found where the log came from. Later that day, the couple from Ohio found a nine inch track 
in the area between the road and the camp, going in a direction, the opposite direction of where I saw it running from. So the, the track was going west, or I'm sorry, the track was going north to south. I saw it running south to north. I wasn't going to say nothing, but I'm pretty sure this is what I saw last night. And I thought I was just, nah, you know, I just maybe I was just tired. A lot of people uh, um, see these things and question themselves or talk themselves out of it. Or um, I know one guy uh, saw one and thought it was his, I mean, I've, I've spoken to several people who've seen them and thought it was their hunting buddy or something like that. And it was only later that they realized, oh my God, that's not, that's not what I saw at all. Um, I know I, I talked to one guy, um, I gave, he gave me, no, I gave him a ride home one time years ago from a mutual friend's house. And he was kind of heckling me, oh, Bigfoots aren't real and blah, 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 blah. And I, oh yeah, what's the weirdest thing you ever saw out in the woods? He goes, oh, I, I, one time I was in the Coast Range in Tillamook, and I saw a bear um, walking away from camp on two legs. Um, I go, oh yeah, was it swinging its arms? He goes, oh yeah, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, and Bigfoots aren't real, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of talk yourself out of things um, if it's not either in your paradigm, but obviously Sasquatches are in your paradigm. But like, just like I, I think as Bigfooters, we go so much. And most of the time, nothing happens. We kind of condition ourselves like that is the standard. Nothing happens. But when it does, um, we find ourselves um, kind of, we kind of talk ourselves out of it because of that. So Steve, you, you've been in the game for a long time. You know, you, you've, seen, you've seen it all. You've done most of it too. Um, at the present moment, what has you excited about the field? Like, like what is it that right now you're kind of like, yeah, you're you're just kind of happy about, or you're excited about, you're looking forward to, or anything like that. And not like project wise or anything, but like, or maybe it is project wise. But like, what what is encouraging to you to stay in the game after being in the game for so long? Some of the the, the technology that's coming out with, and you know, my my I got people on my team that are grabbing technology. I'm grabbing technology. I uh, I just can't wait to put it in play. I mean. 20 years ago that I think I would have night vision that I could actually record, you know, using this night vision scope. Now I have that and it's super awesome and I can't wait to use it, you know? So in a field, I'll I'll be able to see pretty darn good. (laughs) And uh, I haven't really field tested it because I bought it in the winter time. And every time I want to field test it, we get snow, (laughs) lots of it. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand because my my research area is, is the Adirondacks. A lot of these places, you know, during the winter time, they're the gates are closed. I can't get into them. Well, cool. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, talk about uh, stories written. Steve actually has two of the books I like. Uh, what is Bigfoot case files, and then what would Sasquatch do? That's the name of them, right? Uh, the Bigfoot case book and, uh, and what would Sasquatch do, which was my, my first one, which might actually was my second book. My first one was 50 large, which was on the Georgia Bigfoot hoax, but uh, about the creature itself, um, is, uh, what would Sasquatch do, which was a lot about primate behavior and the similarities to Bigfoot. And, um, the second book is, uh, the Sasquatch, uh, playbook, which, I try to uh, encourage people to use some objective reasoning and question everything, even you know, e- even the most honored of, of pieces of evidence. Question it because there's still some things that need to be answered that may not necessarily can be answered. You know, uh, you know, I, I take on things like, well, I have a, a very interesting question about the Patterson Gimlin film, and that wasn't me. That was actually a, a, an anthropologist who was open to the idea. 
Um, and you know, this book was written in 1972 and the general's name was Dr. John Napier. He was a curator at the Smithsonian institution and he was not necessarily, uh, objected to the existence of a Sasquatch, but he had some questions about the Patterson Gimlin film and all of them are kind of like, eh, eh, eh. But then he hit something like going, huh? So I cover that in the book. I talk about that question and what, what if, uh, I talk about the Sierra sounds. Um, what if, you know, what, 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 you know, here's the only thing I, I have an interesting about that, you know, but you got to ask these questions. That's how you keep yourself real. That's how you keep your feet on the ground. And at the end of the day, you can still believe it, even though you still may have these questions. So yeah, Steve, God, we could keep going on with you for a while, but to sum stuff up, people should really check out Squatch Detective, SquatchDetective.com. You're on Facebook also, and you've got Instagram and but you go under Steve Coles on Instagram and Twitter, right? Uh, YouTube, youtube.com uh, forward slash Steve Coles. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. There's, there's good, good uh, information on there for sure. Yeah. We were, th- uh, you again are, are one of the, the, the beacons of hope in the Bigfoot community where you just don't swallow what was put on your plate every single day from Facebook. You know, you actually dig in, you, uh, you find uh, about background information of the location, the people, the sighting, you name it, man. If it's a hoax, you're going to find out. So I cannot recommend your resources enough for our audience. Um, Bigfoots are real, but we all should be skeptical of it. And you are leading the charge on that one. And I just, we just so appreciate it. Steve. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's been a, a real pleasure knowing you guys. So it's, it's been a, a real treat. You guys are, you know, ground based and, and great. And, you know, it's like, it's amazing how, you know, our philosophies just line up with one another's. I mean, it, it's just awesome. All right, folks, that's the Squatch Detective from SquatchDetective.com, Steve Coles. Uh, we appreciate him showing up, and we hope you guys show up next week and hear our next guest. Thanks for listening, and keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 